Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I am so excited today because every week we want to be able to bring you insights, concepts, uh, wisdom, understanding, thoughts, uh, strategies to improve your life. And today is no exception, but I say that every week. But I'm especially excited to have my friend Patrick Francie with us, who was kind enough to interview, interview me on his acclaimed podcast everyday millionaire not that long ago he's a real estate investor he's been very very successful he and his wife have worked with olympians and skating school so we're going to let him sort of share his story but also the strategies and all the things that he does as far as mentoring others to really have financial success in life but also personal success so patrick welcome to the show well thank you really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Well, and I know you're just going to rock it. I mean, I will say to the listeners, uh, I just appreciate who you are, who you and Stephanie are. You know, we've gotten to know each other over the last little while and uh, just uh, like what you're doing. So thanks for taking the time. So Patrick, um, you know, we I always like to start the show with sort of your journey in where you came from. So so tell us sort of your beginning story and not everything, not every high school story, but, uh, you know, where did you come from? And then, you know, your transition in your 20s and 30s as far as your progression to where you are today. So just, just help the listeners know who is Patrick and where did he come from? Well, you know, once again, it's a, it is. Well, I'm an old guy now. I, I joke about that. I'm you know 59 years old, so there's some story behind there. But you know, through and through, I'm I, I'm an entrepreneur. Although it did take me some time to discover that. You know, early on when I came out of school, um, I went into the corporate world. I got a job in the oil patch in Alberta. I actually worked corporately, so I wasn't on the rigs, the oil rigs. I was in an office in a company that manufactured downhole drilling tools. And the reason that's important in the story is that I, being raised on really the wrong side of the tracks, I came from a background of, you know, very low income parents, four children. And so possibly the opportunities that could show up for others didn't show up for me. And I was a little bit rebellious as a kid, rebellious as a kid. And really, so that surprises me, Patrick. I don't <laughs> sense that that <laughs> <laughs> so it also defines me, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, when you look back and you reflect on, you know, who you're being and how you got to where you are, for me, I'm very reflective in that way. And and it was a course of, you know, life and, and, and I have no regrets around any of that. But I went mm-hmm. into that, that job and uh, for seven years, I was there eight years and then the downturn in the early 80s of the oil patch uh, left Alberta really upside down. And I found myself unemployed and into a unemployment rate in Alberta at the time of well over 10 or 11 percent. And so I really struggled to find a job and ultimately I couldn't. And at that point, I had my first entrepreneurial accident. And that's really where my journey started back in 1984. And what was that accident? What was this entrepreneurial accident that occurred? 
Well, I came out of it, you know, I had saved some money through that time. I was always pretty frugal in terms of managing my cash and my cash flow. Uh, you know, if, you know, my dad and I didn't get along all that well, but one of the things I learned from him and really took to heart was that you managed credit and you didn't abuse credit. So mm-hmm. for me, if I had a credit card, it was always paid off. There was never any debt carried over and there was always a little bit of liquidity and sleep at night fund. And so when I lost my job, as devastated as I was because I had so much identity and pride attached to that particular job, I had excelled through the corporate ranks, you know, at at a very young age at 24, 25 years old at that time, I was actually, you know, uh, I had a significant role. I was, you know, I was part of a company that was almost a billion dollar company. This particular segment in Canada in Edmonton was probably $200 million a year and 300 staff. And I report directly to the general manager. So that's all to say that you know, it's also to kind of give you a scope of who I was in that world or who I wanted to be and who I saw myself as. So when I lost that job, it was a big blow to my pride and my identity. So having mm. said all of that, I uh, was pretty confident in that I would find other uh, other work, which didn't be the wasn't the case. But also, I kind of took the summer off and was you know spending time water skiing and and hanging out at my parents' cabin. We had a small, small cabin on a, on a lake and hanging out with some pals. And, and that particular, one particular friend of mine owned a company at the time called, well, it's still called that professional skate service. We call it Pro Skate. I've owned that business now for 35 years. Now, I went to work with him to hang around. It was just fun. It was killing time. I didn't need a ton of money. I knew I could take the summer off without any financial pressure. But I got into this business called high-end, specialty, boutique, hockey, figure skating, and it was, I was really lit up about it, and it was fun. So, Patrick, just hang on. How did you go from oil patch to sport skating kind of, like, where'd that come from? Did you did you have any skating background, or was that not necessary? Well, you know, you know when people play the game called, you know, you, you may be in a group of people and they say, so tell me something about you that everybody would be surprised to know. So I've owned one of the, a very successful independent boutique shop and it's gone up and down in size depending on what we were doing called hockey and figure skate, high end, mid to high end. We've dealt with NHL players and, and Olympic skaters as well as recreational by the way, but it was really that focus. What mm. people don't know about me is I don't play hockey and I don't skate. And uh, mm. yet the business 35 years later is certainly been successful by anybody's measurement in that industry. Have you thought about uh, taking uh, lessons from your own company? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's funny is that uh, (laughs) my wife, Stephanie, as you know, is a brilliant skater and a coach. And uh, we used to joke because uh, if I went out on the ice with her, we'd kind of like dance on the ice, but it looked like we were dancing, but really she was just pushing me around the ice. And (laughs) I get that. I get that. But how did I go from that? Once again, it was that um, I think underlying all of this was my desire to be something bigger, better, greater than I was. And I, and that was a lot of that was just attached to my own identity and ego and who I wanted to be seen as. So when I got into the business of working in this very, very small shop, which at the time was a, you know 800 square feet and they sold very limited things, Tom didn't have the experience I had corporately. So the connection was that I'd come up through the ranks, if you will, corporately. And back in those days, and especially in that industry, they put a lot of 
money or they invested a lot of money into the education of staff. Of course, we were that 18, we're now baby boomers, of course, but back at the time, corporations were investing a lot in education. So I got my secondary, my post-secondary education was really built in the corporate world. Mm. And because I was working in the office, I was in charge of purchasing and inventory management and management in general. And uh, I was part of a steering committee to implement some uh, IT back in those days, which was, you know, the first computer where, you know, one gig was, you know, ran the whole business. But uh, uh, the, we are really dating ourselves, aren't we, Patrick? Uh, our, our, we said our, computers were just coming in. The young people listening, what do you mean? Like there was life before computers? What? <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, that was all part, all to say that I took that, you know, that seven or eight years of corporate background and training and brought it forward into a business to support my friend because he wanted that support. And we, uh, I got into it. I had, was having fun and we, all of a sudden the business was growing. We had 80% growth the first year I was involved. And, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up buying him out and owning the business. So that's the kind of the long and the short of where I got into and started having my first entrepreneurial experience. Now, where did Once Stephanie fit into this whole process? When did you two um, connect? When did, well, uh, I don't remember the exact year, so take me back. It's been We were talking about it not that long ago. We've talked about it often, but it was about almost 30 years ago that I first met her. Now, that was because I was in the business in the boutique shop, and we were into high-end skates and unique and cool things that we were doing, very uh, innovative in how we treated fitting of skates and the on-ice performance. She was a skating coach. She was teaching hockey players how to skate better. And I was introduced to her by one of our skate manufacturers who said to me, this coach is awesome. She knows what she's doing on the ice. She would be a good contact for you. And so that was 30 years ago that I met her and 31 years ago now that I think about it. And we just hit it off from a real business point of view. I had a lot to offer her business and we really created and my mindset around those kind of strategic relationships has always been, how can we create a win-win? So how can I support you? How can you support me? How can we make sure that we're delivering to our clients a really cool outcome that lights them up? And now, Patrick, I'm calling you out. I'm not sure that was your motivation once you met Stephanie. <laughs> well, I, it, was, but it was pretty impressive. Of course, one thing led to another. The next thing you know, there's this beautiful lady, and she's an athlete, and she skates, and she knows, you know, she knows how to drive business into my store. I know how to drive business into hers, and you know, it was pretty uh, uh, synchronistic, I guess, in the relationship. Oh man, there you go. Yeah, I get it. I get it. The same. Yeah, I know. So I always had that kind of instinct in me to how do we build business? And, uh, you know, over the years, uh, what I noticed and I modeled or I paid attention to the people I admired and how they had success. And I was always driven to be a better entrepreneur and to understand at some point I had a, you know, that revelation that in order to grow my business, I had to duplicate myself. I had to be a better leader. I was working in the mm -hmm. store one day, very, very busy. And a friend of mine comes and says, we should go fishing. And I go, I don't have time to go fishing. And he, I admired him because he was very successful from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I said to him in that moment, I said, dude, when I have the kind of money and the kind of time you have, I'll go fishing with you. And he looked at me and he said, 
When you quit working in your business and start working on your business, you'll have the money and the time to go fishing with me. And I know that saying of working on your business, not in it, is very cliche now. But 25 years ago, 20 years ago, it wasn't cliche. And he could have just, you know, he couldn't have hit me with a hammer between the eyes. And I had that revelation in that moment. And I started looking at how I do business differently. And I started working on it. I started looking at how do I duplicate myself? How do I train people? How do I be a better leader? And how do I work myself out of a job? That's how I looked at it. So that I became a business owner and not somebody who had bought and paid for a job. Right. Which many of us get caught in, right, as entrepreneurs. And, uh, I mean, we've, we talked about that in, in the podcast we did together for, with you is around, you know, how do I define what a lifestyle looks for me? And we're going to get into your wisdom that you've captured and all of that here shortly. Sure. But when did you start uh, transitioning out of that into this world of real estate or real estate investment in just, you know, really being an expert in that area? Now, obviously, you're part of Reen, and we'll get to that in a second. But when did you start kind of expanding your reach beyond this business? Well, that's, a, you know, back in 2001, which is – I'm watching and looking at people that I admired and in the other entrepreneurs that I saw, in spite of how successful they were in their businesses, and some of them were very, very successful, I noticed one thing consistent, and that was that they all owned real estate at some level in some way. And so in 2001, early 2000, actually, now that I think about it, I actually said, I want to start looking at how do I invest in real estate? The business had had a degree of success. There was some cash that was happening. I was looking at my future and saying, well, I can't just depend on selling my business when I look at a retirement or whatever retirement might be. So my financial future can't be just dependent on me exiting my business or what's it going to look like. So I said, I need to start investing in real estate. So back in 2000, I started learning the process of investing in real estate. And that's actually when I discovered the real estate investment network, RAIN, that we are known as, and starting to educate myself on how to invest in real estate, where to invest in real estate, why, and all of those kinds of conversations. So Stephanie and I started buying real estate in Alberta at the time, uh, back in 2001 when I bought my first piece of real estate and uh, and we haven't really stopped since then and we haven't looked back since then and that was the next phases of a couple other con- uh, you know entrepreneurial accidents that occurred the expansion of businesses and participation in rain so uh, now from that and you know good on you from there uh, if I was just to back up for a second and then we'll get into rain here a little bit uh, Patrick is what do you think there – there are many entrepreneurs who struggle in, uh, like you talked about, working on the business, which really Michael Gerber, who I met in person in 92 or 3 when that, his e-myth book came out. What were some of the strategies, the, the skills that you were deploying in your business to grow it that many other entrepreneurs are not doing that my listeners could listen to or learn from? Now, I was once given a kind of a context for 
business. And the statement was made to me is that high performance is a result of low tolerances. And the realization that our life is a reflection of what we tolerate, as is our business. The more we tighten up on what we tolerate, the higher the performance that we have. Now, the analogy that I use in that example is that when, you know, you can have a car and it, you know, you can have a Mazda, whatever, or whatever car is available. It could be a Fiat. It doesn't matter what the model of the car is, but it doesn't matter who drives it. When you put it on the road, it will only go so fast. And when you get to a certain speed, it will be actually become dangerous because it doesn't have the tolerances to go around corners at a high speed. It's not built to do that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the, uh, in, you know, the, the drivetrain. It doesn't have the steering. Uh, it doesn't have all of the things that it takes to perform at, at a high level without causing damage, crashing, coming apart. Compare that to, you know, a Porsche, a 911, which is designed with very low tolerances. So at 300 kilometers an hour, the tires, the steering, the engine, all of the things that make that car are actually capable and designed mm-hmm. to do 300 kilometers an hour. So if you're trying to take a car and speed it up, if you still take that 911 Porsche and say, well, I want it to do 400 kilometers an hour or 350 kilometers an hour, when you get to that speed, it's going to vibrate in its existing design. You have to pull it off the track. You have to redesign some of the parts in order for it to travel at that speed. Mm-hmm. And it's like that with a business. We, we expect our businesses to do great and to move with velocity. And we get momentum going, and then all of a sudden, things start to show up. And that what could show up is that person who was, you know, that individual you have on your team who was really great at doing certain things in this period of time and in this volume, when that momentum gets increased and the velocity increases, all of a sudden that person is doesn't have the skills, doesn't have the ability, doesn't maybe have the desire. We as the leaders have to look at the part of that business, that infrastructure that we've created, go, you know something, i got to pull that part off the track. I've either got to train it better, i got to support it better, or I have to replace the part. And when we look at our businesses in that way, at all, in all aspects of it, we start to pick it apart of where are we tolerating a, a, you know, a, a person or a system or a procedure mm-hmm. that actually is slowing us down. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully that kind of resonates and makes sense for where, where, what, what I'm talking about. But that is certainly one important part of uh, how I look at things and how I look at my business and how I look at my staff. Well, when you think about it, uh, and you know, the, you know, I use the word Patrick is the sin of omission, right? Is uh, we we have a certain performance, but if you don't address it, if you don't adjust it, um, then you know what's going to improve it. So it's interesting because we talked about this personally uh, when we were having wine at your place. Is that that was one of the things that we really have embraced since you've acquired Reen. In is how can we go to the next level? And the next level requires this philosophy to be implemented. Now, beyond that, what were some of the – so you have this high performance. But a lot of times businesses, they're, probably their number one issue 
is growing cash flow, right? Uh, one of my colleagues says you can't cut your way to success. I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't save your way to success. I mean, yes, you can, but you you still have to grow. What was it that you were able to get eighty percent growth in the first year? Other, what were some of the things that you were doing that you would advise other people here in an employee or an entrepreneurial role that would uh, that you were implementing back then to grow the business from a sales and marketing point of view? Well, I think that. You know, even if I wasn't of the mindset back then, so what I, a lot of what I did back then was a little bit instinctual, but there was a part of just my own makeup that I looked at how a team was, how the environment of the business was, and the design of, you know, it really boils down with the team is, you know, how do we create an environment for them to succeed? You know, what is the design of what we're doing and how does that support their success? So, you know, I always looked at a staff, and let's say I was going to pay somebody 50 grand a year. When I was hiring somebody or defining a position that needs to be filled, I always looked at that position and that person and saying, okay, I'm investing $50,000 in a year in my business, in this person, and am I setting them up to deliver a return on the investment that I'm making in them? So am I creating the environment for them to succeed? You know, a little bit off, but to give you an example of that, often what happens, in, especially in larger corporations, but any corporation really, they send the team out for training and they go to a consultant and the consultant does all this training and they do all these things. But when the team comes back to the office, they actually haven't opened the space or created the space for the team to implement what they learned from the consultant. So they haven't created, you know, so then what happens is, you know, inevitably the team shuts down. They go back to what they've always done and the consultant gets fired because they're not getting the results that, you know, they got hired to do. Yet the corporate structure, the senior management, for example, isn't giving or creating the space for the team to do what they've been trained to do. So I focus on environment. Am I creating an environment for success for the team? Am I setting a context of high performance and defining what high performance means? And am I really seeking and being clear on what the return on my investment of time and energy into my team and what they're doing? And I listen to them. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Does that answer your question, Ken? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it does. It's, it's starting to, right? Uh, and I'm sure there's more wisdom behind that. Is, but you were way back then really, really intentional to, as you said, create an environment. So many businesses, okay, we're going to send the managers, but the senior people don't go because they're above that. <laughs> and then well, the yeah, number, yeah. and they're the number one reason why the company is struggling, right? Yes. So thank so you for that. Was, yeah, so back then it was, we were fired up about what we wanted to do. As much as it was about making money, and, and a lot of this is in hindsight, but as much as I wanted to make money and we wanted to succeed, we had a huge stake in the game called we're going to make a difference. We're going to change the world called skating performance. We're going to take an industry that's old and traditional and we're going to morph two worlds together. In our world, it was, you know, the quality of skating as a figure skater and what that meant from an equipment point of view and what it could mean to a, a, a hockey player and their performance on the ice skating. But we were fired up to change the world, to support 
minor hockey players or professional players or Olympic skaters in achieving their dreams. And that was what drove us. And from that, we got to make money. We got to charge for it. We got to be honored by receiving value for what we did. But we weren't doing it the other way around. We weren't saying, let's make money, blah, 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 doing this. And it was, let's help people just make, you know, make the team, you know, go to the next level of play, win that competition. And from that, we get to really honor what we brought to the table in our contribution and be paid for it. Now, it's all subtle, but that's really where we came from back then, and it still is to this day. Well, it's interesting, Patrick, and I just want to acknowledge you to have those kinds of values to the listeners, because a lot of cases, it's the other way around. Uh, people are out there, you know, let's just make some money, and if we make a difference, or the client's better, or the customer's better, or whatever, that's sort of like an accident that might or might not occur. So, but you were really driving it from a values-based decision and a philosophy rather than, okay, we're going to make this profit like, let's call myself Lehman Brothers or something. Yeah, there's a, there's two, there's a part of that that we were a retail environment, but the shift that we had is that retail generally is actually transactional. Even though it's not, that's how a lot of businesses, a lot of retail businesses are run, is it's very transactional. We are, in the business that we were in, we're very relational. So I measured our success, for example, with, you know, the junior size skates that we fit. Was the volume of those skates growing because we knew that those players were going to play for 10, 15, 20 years? Now, 35 years later in this business, we have second generation and even a little bit of third generation of people coming into the store that have always done business with us. And that was because it was relational. And the realization back then was that we understood the lifetime value of a customer. Mm. And when you do the math on what is the lifetime value of your customer, guess what? You're willing to invest a lot in that time, energy, and even money. And a lot of people don't get that. They don't see the long term. They don't commit to the long term, or they simply don't understand it. So, you know, thank you yeah, for that, Patrick. So let's just transition from that sure. to now you have the real estate investment network. Just tell us a little bit about that journey. And then I do want to dive in a little bit about principles, success principles, do's and don'ts, and those things, the wisdom that you've captured uh, through your 150 years of life. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, listeners. I just had to throw that in. I know Patrick yeah, doesn't look that old, but. <laughs> well, you know, the, the Real Estate Investment Network, once again, that was another entrepreneurial accident that started back in 2000 when Stephanie and I started investing in real estate. We met, at, uh, who's, you know, we met Don Campbell at the time, who's one of the founding partners of the Real Estate Investment Network. He was our primary educator and catalyst. He's a best-selling author, Real Estate Investing in Canada, the Real Estate Investing Cycle. He's got seven or eight best-selling books in the real estate market in Canada. And we just started going to regular meetings where the RAIN membership, the RAIN community was a part of our success and we hung out with people and eventually we got to meet and know Don a little bit. And uh, in 2007, we had got to know him and his wife, Connie, 
and we were actually vacationing together and we were sitting on the beach in St. Lucia and enjoying some time together. And he just said to me, he said, what's next for you? I had just come off a project in the skating world called Thermoblade, which is a heated ice hockey blade. That's another story. Mm. And, uh, but I, I'd, I'd finished that launch of that product and, you know, being part of that team. And he said, so what's next for you? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I've, I'm in a position where the business is doing well on its own in Edmonton, and I don't know what's next for me. I just have some breathing room, and I'm not really attached to yet to – I don't know what I'm doing next. And he said, well, you know something? If you're ever interested in moving into British Columbia, we could really use some help. I've got this growing business called Rain. I'm struggling operationally. That's where your area of expertise lies. Would you be interested in coming to work with me? And uh, Stephanie and I talked about it. We made the decision, and in 2000, like really late 2007, early 2008, I came out to BC to start working with the team, uh, the Rain team, and supporting Don. And that started the next journey. And along the way, in about 2007, I guess it was, uh, my now partner Richard Dolan out of Toronto, we bought Don out of the business of rain and although he's still very involved in the business as a a partner with us he's our senior analyst in the world of canadian real estate that was how i came to be the ceo and managing partner of rain the long and the short of it Mm. and what was motivating for you to be an owner of this network what was that what was sort of the fulfillment point or the i this uh, this is my next step what was it for you that Really said this is well, the connection because you could have you probably had a lot of choices that you could have made. Well, it's, you know, number one, real estate was of a high interest to me just in its own. So that was kind of mm. one of the things that made me look at it. The business called Pro Skate was as well as it was going. We'd gone through the highs and lows. I was a little bit tired of the industry, and it just wasn't big enough for me. The business did well, but it wasn't a big enough deal for me. I felt I was capable of more. I wanted to push myself more. So when the opportunity with Rain showed up, that was a stretch for me. It was like, holy cow, I'd never done this before, ran this kind of a team, ran this kind of a business. And so it was, for me, a challenge that I wanted to take on and to embrace. When I got into it and the ultimate, you know, purchase of the business from Dawn was that Rain is a very unique business in that it helps and supports people in creating financial futures. Mm. We get to make a really, really big difference in people's lives financially and in terms of creating their vision, their dreams their aspirations financially and what kind of a lifestyle that they can create for themselves and their family. Their future financial certainty is, you know, one of the things that we stand for. And freedom by design is one of our mission statements. And that lights me up when I get to make a difference in people's lives. That will always attract me. If I can be a contribution to elevating to taking and supporting people and going to whatever the next level is for them, I'm always all in. That's part of my own design. It's part of my own life's mission statement. And so this continues to expand and grow. And as you said, the opportunity here in this space is nearly endless, isn't it? It is. It gets to be very, very big and fun and exciting. And I don't ever see it 
to be honest with you, I don't ever see it ending. Uh, we are, we work, you know, you and I talked even uh, getting connected with this call about just how busy we both are. And, uh, and I'm on the go and I'm flying and I'm traveling and we're very, very busy. But ultimately, Ken, I love what I do. I actually act in, you know, one of them, because I do a lot of coaching and some one-on-one, not so much anymore, but I had a RAIN member come up to me one day and who'd gotten to know me over the past few years. And they go, Patrick, how many hours a week do you work? And I was taken aback by the question. And I said, you know something? I don't know the answer to that question because I don't look at work and my life. I don't look at my life outside of work. I just look at my life. Uh-huh. And what I do is part of my life, and I only ever assess it. Am I enjoying what am I doing and what I'm doing, and is it a big and important and compelling part of my life? And in this case, it is. So it never shows up for me as I'm working too hard. I just have my life, and it includes the rain, and it includes pro skate, and it includes my wife and my wife's business and you know how Stephanie is. And So Stephanie and I only ever look at just what our life is, not how many hours we work. And it's interesting, Patrick, because one of my colleagues talked about it, is we don't have a work life and a home life. We just have a life. The, you know, it's blurred. Now, the other side, of course, is, you know, there's this fancy word they use out there. Do you have balance? But what does that mean? And uh, I appreciate your comment is, you know, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, who are you to say that I'm working too much? And as long as the other things are ticked off, meaning the relationships are solid, you're spending time on your health and wellness, uh, then uh, who is anybody to judge what you're doing, right? Yeah, I think that even in the world of judgment, and first off, I think, you know, balance is an old story. It's a myth. People strive for it, and who's to say what balance is? You know, there's uh, an approach that we can take as entrepreneurs and as just people, whether you've got, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or have a career, and it really is the picture of what is your life. And there is, for me, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's, it's, an, it's, you know, it's, there's blurred lines. You, who's to define it? Unless you can clearly define that I feel uh-huh. I'm in balance, then there's nothing to work with. You know, it's just too ambiguous. And especially with technology where it's accessible, you know, if I go, if we go on our vacation or holidays, I do emails about 30 minutes every morning. So he says, well, why are you doing that on your holidays? Because actually I'm relaxing. I'm making sure it's covered, it's done. I close the computer and I'm on the beach reading a book for the rest of the day. So, um, you, you know, we get to, de- we really should be able to get to decide what that is. So thank you for that. So Patrick, you know, when we think about, you know, your wisdom, what you've learned over the years, let's do both sides of the coin here. What are some of the characteristics or qualities that you think are critical and important to um, really define personal, entrepreneurial, professional success these days? You know, there's an old story that, or an old, it's not even old. There's a current, you know, when you get on an airplane, the first thing that they say is that, you know, in case of an emergency, when the, the masks drop down, put your mask on first before you help others. For me, there's a lot of meaning in that. And as an entrepreneur and a CEO, as a leader and somebody, you know, for me, I am always trying to hone my leadership skills. I'm always reflective. I'm always aware who who I'm being. 
and developing who I'm being, how I'm showing up. And when I, you know, what I've come to understand is that the better I look after myself, the more capacity I have to look after my team and the people I'm surrounded with. And so I take looking after myself very seriously. So my health and my wellness, my mental state, my emotional state, my spiritual state, all of those things, my financial state, all of those things are seen on the outside, maybe perhaps a little selfish, but ultimately I know that I carry the responsibility of a large, well, large, I guess, that's not even to say, you know, I have a lot of staff between Edmonton and, and uh, British Columbia, and I take that responsibility very seriously, how mm-hmm. I support them to succeed. So it's incredibly important that I look after myself. So one of the ways that I do that, of course, is I work out on a regular basis. That's the physical side of me. I'm outdoors. That's what I need. I'm very aware of what I need to look after myself. I have a very, very diligent and time-tested morning routine. I'm up at 5. If I sleep in, it's still 6. But I'm generally up between 5 and 5.30. I'm having breakfast. I'm, you know, I, I, first thing I do in the morning before I get out of bed is I have some affirmations that I go through in my head. I take a few minutes to maybe meditate. Sometimes I do a 20-minute meditation. Sometimes it's a two-minute meditation. But I'm always, before I roll out of bed, taking a moment to get grounded to be thankful for my day, ask what I'm grateful for. These are all, of course, conversations I'm having with myself in split seconds. Mm-hmm. And then I, I head down, I will grab my cup of coffee, I will read something inspirational, whatever that might be for me. I do some journaling. I uh, don't read my emails. I do some other reading. And then by about, I don't know, 7 a.m., I head out and I to the gym, I either have a trainer or I don't, but I'm, I work out on a regular basis. And so then by 7.30, 8 o'clock, often I'm also on the call with my partner in Toronto by about 6.30, uh, 6 o'clock, 6.15, depending on the timing. My point of all of this is that I have a very clear routine to get my day started. And that's the process I go through and awareness of what I need to look after myself in order for me to have the strength and the clarity to look after all of the things that I am responsible for. What you're saying, Patrick, and, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, we talked about that, uh, you know, personally, too, is that nothing really happens by accident. Is that structure, discipline, frameworks are critical to implementing those things that you wish to implement. Yeah, there's there's a place where I think for most entrepreneurs is that if I see gaps and it's never ending by the way, but I take 100% responsibility for absolutely everything that occurs in my life. Say that again. Uh, You know, aren't there some jerks out there that really kind of, (laughs) (laughs) you know something I'm a victim to absolutely zero things. And even my own health, I'm, a big believer in the metaphysical. I'm a big believer that what we, you know, that uh, an ongoing stress and negative thinking manifests itself in health-related issues. That's proven uh, by science, for sure. Yeah, well, and so I believe and I see that. I also am very clear that my life is a reflection of who I'm being, and my friends are a reflection of who I am. And so 
I will look at a Ken Keyes who I consider a friend and go, the fact that Ken Keyes is in my life because of how I respect you is a good indicator to me that I'm showing up in a way that would attract attract the quality of friend and person by Ken Keyes. So Ken, if you thought that, you know, if we didn't align in values, if we didn't align in some level of philosophy, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be the friends we are. We wouldn't be in the conversations we're in. I wouldn't be on your podcast. So when you take responsibility for all that's happening and when you have somebody in your life that is just something's wrong, you don't like that person, they keep showing up in a negative way, then you have to look and say, where am I being that? Because if you weren't being that, they couldn't be in your life. Explain that. I think that's it's a so important, Patrick, but I don't want the listeners to miss that. Explain that concept a little more, if you would, please. That they wouldn't okay, be okay. there if I wasn't that way. What, 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 what are you talking about? Well, there's a level, there's a quality of how you're being that would allow that individual to show up in your space. So where are you not being in integrity with who you are? I'll use this as an example. We've lived in British Columbia uh, nine years, about nine years, almost 10 actually. And, you know, as we know, British Columbia is the marijuana capital of probably North America, but let's just say it is a marijuana capital, a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh And it seems this may seem like an odd example, but, you know, I had my heyday of, you know, I have no opinion of people who smoke drugs, whether it be medicinally or for recreation. I don't have an opinion of it. I just know that I don't do it anymore. Stephanie doesn't do it. And it's just not what we do. Mm -hmm. So in 10 years that we've lived in British Columbia, the capital, the pot capital of the world, and I'm not kidding about this, we've never been approached to say, do you want to smoke a joint? Nobody has even smoked a joint that we know in like that we know in our presence. So in other words, we can, we've had many parties at our home. We've been to many parties. And when we've been in the room and in the presence without, we've never said we don't, we don't, we don't share opinions with anybody, but energetically, there's just a place of how we show up that people mm. don't say, I'm going to smoke a joint. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So, Part of what's, um, this is so important. I think this is, I mean, this is a gem, Patrick. And the reason I'm drilling down is that there are so many people out there and you see it in social media and that too, just around blaming and criticizing others and not taking responsibility. And that this concept of that, you know, it really is quote unquote sort of the law of attraction that's uh, applying is that who I am is also who I'm attracting, who I'm allowing in my life, all those items. Any expansion on this concept about being 100% responsible so that the listeners can get this? And this applies to everything. There's a question that I ask when I'm having conversations with people who may be challenged in relationship with their friends, with their family. They're feeling out of integrity they can't seem to move forward because of people around them. And the question that I ask, and this was taught to me 20 years ago by one of my mentors. And the question is, are you willing to be misunderstood in the context of your life? 
So when we start to define who we are in the context of our life, there are people who are going to make it wrong. They're going to want, because guess what? They know you and they want to keep you the way you are because Mm. that keeps them comfortable. And by the way, you know, that could be parents. That could be immediate family. It's certainly often friends and workmates. And so we continue to be angry or be frustrated with the people in our life because we haven't taken a stand for what we want to be and who we want to be in our life. And, uh, you know, I use the drug concept, you know, people, you know, demons can't come into our life. Energetically, they go, whoa, there's, that's not the place to be. You know, that mm-hmm. is because we take a stand for what we believe. That's not to make anybody else wrong. It's just who we are. We're defining ourselves and we're making a clear choice in who we are. So for people listening to this podcast, when you look at who's in your life and the grief that you are feeling victim to, ultimately the responsibility lies with you and your willingness to get uncomfortable, to take a stand, and it doesn't have to be confrontational, it just has to be, I don't do that anymore, I'm not that way, this is where I'm going, I don't believe in that, I've quit doing that. Mm. Well, I want to transition with that point, and it's circular in its discussion, Patrick, because this is so important, by the way, you're just knocking it out of the park, my friend, is a lot of times the people that have been around us, who we want to become is not who we've been, but who we've been with want us to stay who we have been. So that's what you're talking about, this misunderstood, I want to become somebody different. I recall when I decided to leave my sales position to start my entrepreneurial venture and sales training company, is that my dad said, well, why would you want to leave a company that has a car and an expense account? (laughs) Sure. That was so, and later on, about eight years later, that company went bankrupt. But um, there's always going to be people around you who are not going to embrace your new choices. How do you coach me? I mean, you've started to already here, but I want to move to this new path. People listening here want to go into a different direction. How would you coach me? What would you say to me about additional thoughts beyond what you've shared already to get this new direction and to, to embrace this new place? When you decide and you define that you're willing to be misunderstood in the context of your life, and often we hear, and I know that you've coached, and because of the work you do, you'll hear, you'll question people, well, why do you do that, or why do you say that? And they'll go, because it's just the way I am. And the truth is that it's the way you're choosing to be, and that's a choice. And as you get clear on the choices you're making and how you're being and who you're being, and as you start to define who you want to be, the people around you that aren't aligned can actually and may actually no longer be able to be in your life. Mm. And, it, and if I'm coaching you around it, what I'm saying to you is, Ken, I understand how uncomfortable this is but you are inspired to go to the next level 
of defining who you're being and how you're going to move forward with your life in support of your family or in just in support of others around you and really saying to yourself, I'm not that person anymore. I've evolved. I've grown. That no longer works for me. It will often mean that the people that are in your life can no longer be in your life because uh-huh. they either got to come with you or they're going to drag you backwards. They're going to drag you and keep you where you are because they don't want to get uncomfortable. And having you in their life being the way you are keeps them comfortable. And you have to say, you know, I'd love for you to be on this journey with me, but if you can't be, I understand. I love you, and I love where you got me to, and thank you very much. I'm moving on. Well, it's interesting, Patrick, as all of us grow um you know, I shared this on your podcast when I was a guest for you is that, you know, when I got my doctorate degree, my family member says, we're never calling you doctor. And, you know, it hurt at first, but on the other hand, I said, you know what? They don't know who I am now. And uh, it's, it's okay. And I needed to be okay with that, that that's what was going to happen. And Dr. Marshall Goldsmith in his book said that, you know what? who you are now with old friends and old connections as you connect with them. You don't, we don't need to talk about who I am now. We can just be who we were before with them as a respect of their friendship. But that means that we are moving on as part of that. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just my experience with it. And, and, you know, I'm very reflective in, you know, my own personal development and the development of the team around me. And, so those are just realizations and experiences that I've had over the years. And in order for me to grow my business, to grow who I am, to support and expand my team, it's very important that I attract and create relationships with people that get behind me and create the energy out there to uh, support that level of success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I just want one little short story, and then I have a couple of closing questions for you, and we'll wrap up here in a few minutes, Patrick, and that is um, Dr. Carolyn Leaf talks about no matter what situation you're in, you're always a choice away, a decision away from a different direction. So it just supports, and as a neuroscientist, it supports your comment about I'm 100% responsible for the condition set that I'm in, in whatever set. So I I thank you for that. So Patrick, um, if you were to coach me and you're advising me, what are two or three additional sort of strategies, thoughts, points of wisdom that you would share with the listeners that this has really been important to my journey of, of growing beyond what you've said so far? So you're advising the listeners that you want, this is what I have found has been an important uh, components, traits, characters, behaviors, whatever, that's really helped in me progressing in my success levels? Well, I think there's, you know, first and foremost, as I've said, is that, uh, you know, always being aware of who you're being. Often we get caught in what we're doing, but there is the next level, I think, of evolution of leaders is who you're being while you're doing what you're doing and having an awareness of that and realizing that it is a choice and that you Mm -hmm. are making conscious decisions around that. 
secondly is that I understand now that sometimes the changes that we make in our life are not profound. It's not like black and white. What we do is we alter the trajectory. And as any golfer that's listening in or has experienced golf knows that a ball hit one millimeter out at the tee is 300 yards out left or right in the fairway as it goes. Mm-hmm. So trajectory is you roll a ball down a hill for a direction. Trajectory starts at the top of the hill and it can veer off. And our job is to manage the trajectory. And it is making certain that the trajectory ultimately keeps going in the direction. It's just a way to look at it because it isn't a switch that we flip. It's let's set the ball in motion and make sure the trajectory is going in the right direction and correct it as we need to go along. Uh And for me, it's understanding that the habits that I create today show up down the road. The exercise that I do today is what pays off in the long run. And I often like to use that analogy is that we sometimes want it to be easier than it is. But in the world of, you know, exercise, it's actually pushing ourselves to do that additional rep or lift that additional weight is what creates strength. But it's also harder. It's sometimes painful. It's stressful. But that's what creates and generates the muscle is the stress that we put under it or put it under. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually is the same. We, I look at challenges as this is just a test of, you know, I got to lift this weight. It means I'm going to have to work harder. It is going to be painful. And in the moment, I'm going to complain about it and have really self negative self-talk and all the things, but I'm going to put my shoulder into it and take it on. And hold it as a space is not something happening to me, but this is a way for me to grow and expand and come out the other side going, I lifted that weight. I did this. That's awesome. So if you're leaving, as we wrap up the show, Patrick, and again, thank you for your time. Beyond anything that you've said so far, what's what's the the wisdom of the 59-year-old Patrick to the Patrick who is 20 or the individual who is listening? Or even we know people who are 50 who are still, from a maturity point of view, still 20. <laughs> What's your closing uh, sort of remarks to the listeners today to encourage them, to inspire them to um, think about their future? I think for me is, you know, at this point in my life is I would, you know, if I'm giving advice to my 20-year-old self, for example, I think embrace the fear a little bit more. Take it on. You're more capable than you think you are. And to be very clear that we make choices. And some of the choices that we make is our ability to get uncomfortable in surrounding ourselves with people that have a positive influence that we can support and that can support us. Mm. And to always, I don't like using words like always and never, but to be very clear that 
you are responsible for the trajectory in your life and the direction that you're going and that it should be a conscious thing. And that's where opportunities show up and that's where possibilities show up. And we have to look and consider that we have to believe what is possible. And when we believe what is possible, opportunities can be seen. If mm. you don't believe it's possible, you'll never see an opportunity. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, Patrick, uh, some people might want to find out more. Now, this podcast goes all around the world, U.S., Canada, Europe, Asia, wherever. Uh, but if people want to find out more about what you do with your real estate investment network or even you personally as a speaker for their events, uh, how might they find out more about you? Well, you can go to uh, – there's two or three places that you can kind of find me easy. And that one is at raincanada.com, R-E-I-N Canada.com. That's our, our real estate investment network website. And certainly I'm part of the team on that website. The podcast, The Everyday Millionaire, which is the everydaymillionaire.ca, is a place that they could go and listen in and discover some of the interviews that I do, like yourself. And if somebody wants to reach out and contact me directly, I have an email that I use specifically for that that's managed by some people, including myself, of course, which is CEO at reincanada.com, which is CEO at reincanada.com. Well, thank you, Patrick. You know, as always, always enjoy our conversations. And it's just a delight and pleasure that you would give us uh, an hour of your time to be with us and to share with the listeners. So thanks for being with us today. Fun conversation. I appreciate uh, being on your show, Ken. Well, uh, the, the pleasure is mine, and, and you're welcome. Well, listeners, as, as always, um, you've been gifted with wisdom uh, from Patrick today. I just encourage that you would take 100% responsibility for your life, that you would uh, make the choices and decisions that will change your life. If it's not showing up the way you want, then look in the mirror tonight, this morning, this afternoon, to see the person who is responsible for a shift. That might be you. As I always end every show, if you like what we're doing, if you appreciate the comments, the wisdom, the understanding, the show in any way, we just thank and appreciate you um, sharing it, passing it on. Uh, leave some positive comments on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever way that you are listening to this show. I thank you as always for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.